Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking. It's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. My greatest day in baseball. My greatest day in baseball was the year they uh, elected me to the Hall of Fame. I didn't even think about it. I knew I got mentioned, Mm -hmm. and it was uh, quite a surprise, you know, to bounce up there right at the end. I mean, that was my... We couldn't win any pennants. I won a couple of batting titles. And uh, in the year I hit 388, I didn't even think about it until uh, uh, right at the end of the season. I said, hey, Radcliffe was hitting up there, and I'm just batting back. And I, was, and I look up one day, and he's going back underneath me, and I'm up to 350. I said, boy, you better bear down. You might not get up here again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. This is Mark Fidrich. Now, each time he gets the ball back, you'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Catch him all, Joe. I don't believe what I just saw. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. We invite you to rise. Hey, fans, welcome to the Daily Rewind. My name's Tom Hannon, and I am your host. The Daily Rewind is brought to you by ThisDayInBaseball.com. ThisDayInBaseball.com is a treasure chest full of baseball events. We bring you everything from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat in every milestone and oddball event in between. And I'm always surprised at the events that I find every day. For instance, as we get into today's episode about April 2nd, today is a day when everyone thought it was an April Fool's joke that... uh, 
that Jackie Mitchell would actually strike out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in an exhibition game. But, you know, these are the things that you find on thisdayinbaseball.com, and you're going to find these uh, really fun events, you find serious events, and you just find all the things that have shaped baseball history throughout the years. Before I jump in, yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of this podcast. I did my first episode on Rube Waddell passing from tuberculosis. It was amazing for me to do that story and learn so much about him and the fact that people still uh, are putting fire cuts on his uh, tombstone. And I, I always knew he was an uh, eccentric character, but uh, as I do these podcasts, I learned so much about him, and I get to spend time learning about these players, and it's very interesting. Uh, and it's been a really fun year. I've, and we have had some lapses because life gets busy. We're building a house. And, uh, you know, but some, one of the things I'm excited about is we've definitely been able to uh, put the episodes out on a much more consistent basis over the last two months, and that's going to continue. Um, and I, you know, I hope everyone's enjoying them. And I want to thank everyone who's listened to the show, who's downloaded an episode and it joined me on this journey i really appreciate you guys and uh actually last month was the highest downloads that we've received in a month uh which you know uh, everything that's going on in life with the uh you know covid19 uh in podcast numbers across across the border down i was surprised to see that you know the numbers that we have are where they are and i appreciate that and i think it's you know because a lot of people are looking for release in baseball right now so you know i want to thank you for you know for spending time with me this past year and we're gonna you know keep moving forward and i'm excited about this next year and keep bringing you um you know these exciting players from the past to get into today's episode which is on april 2nd uh, and if you go to April 2nd on thisdayinbaseball.com, you're going to see that we have over 100 events on April 2nd. And then it doesn't stop there. There's 48 birthdays. There's almost 30 passings, including uh, Gil Hodges. Uh, there's 60 debuts for Major League players and two players who played their final game on April 2nd. So, um, you know, and some of the debuts are pretty cool. I mean, you got... Um, Ichiro Suzuki, Albert Pujols debuted uh, on this date. So uh, there's some really cool stuff there. So if you check it out, you can go to thisdayinbaseball.com, April 2nd. Now today's subject, Luke Appling, who was born April 2nd, 1907. His nickname was Old Aches and Pains. And Appling is considered one of the best hitting shot stops ever to play in the American League. He was an exceptional contact hitter, and he struck out only 528 times in over 10,000 plate appearances for the White Sox. And he won two batting titles, and he posted a lifetime career mark of 310. And his 388 batting average in 1936 established a 20th century record for major league shortstops. One, one that was only approached by the 385 mark by Pittsburgh's Aki Vaughn one year earlier in the 381 figure compiled by Hannes Wagner in 1900. Blessed with a keen batting eye. Appling accumulated more than 100 walks three times during his career, enabling him to compile a lifetime on base percentage of just slightly under 400. Nevertheless, Appling is often excluded from conversations including the greatest shot stops of all time since he committed a total of 643 errors in his 20 big league seasons, leaving him with the worst fielding percentage of any player with at least 1,900 games played since 1910. Now, granted, uh, Fielding was a lot different back then than it is now with uh, the grooming of fields and gloves and etc. But uh, that is a lot of errors, <laughs> 643 errors. 
Um, so Appling was born in High Point, North Carolina on April 2nd, 1907, as I mentioned earlier. And he moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia with his family as a child after graduating from Fulton High School, where he played baseball and football, Appling attended college in Georgia for two years. Appling started at the university's baseball team while also playing fullback on the football team before leaving school during his sophomore year to, to, to pursue a career in professional baseball. He had signed a contract with the Southern League Atlanta Crackers in 1929 and spent a year with the team, experienced success at the plate but also committing, shockingly, 42 errors in only 140 games. Despite his early difficulties in the field, Appling remained determined to make a successful career out of playing shortstop. He later recalled, My daddy was left-handed, and I was left-handed when I was little. In fact, I was left-handed all the way going through high school. Then I switched over to right-handed because I wanted to play shortstop. Now, maybe that gives you some of the reason why he had some issues. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I'm going to bring you uh, without just dictating all of his career. I'm going to bring you uh, Luke Appling uh, to talk to you about his career. It's a long interview. It's uh, an hour, so you might want to buckle down and um, listen to it. I've uh, On the show notes, I've got some highlighted points if you want to get to any of them. But uh, he talks about a wide range of things, anything from Tony Lazari to Babe Ruth to what his favorite day was to his managing career, um, his coaching career. It was. It's a very long but uh, interesting interview, and you're certainly going to hear his North Carolina and Georgia roots uh, come out during this this interview, as you'll see. Now, I got this interview, um, and it was actually recorded on April 10th, 1987, from Baseball's Hall of Fame Digital Collection, producer of it, and it's a, it's a great interview, um, and I highly recommend you uh, going over to the Baseball Hall of Fame as well and checking out their digital collection because it's quite extensive. But you can uh, you can see that you can even sponsor the pages over there, which I would highly recommend just because I think in a time like this, they, they need that for sure. I'm going to get you to uh, Appling in a second. And uh, as you know, I'm uh, giving you a little bit of his uh, today in Stratomatic. Quick uh, highlight of what's going on in Stratomatic Baseball. So on April 2nd, here are the highlights. There are 10 games on the schedule today, including the unveiling of the World Series champion banner at the Nationals Park, and seven other teams had home openers as well, so let's check in on the action. Nelson Cruz extends his hitting streak to eight games as the Twins win their third straight after dropping the first five games of the season. The Yankees knock out Blue Jays starter Tanner Rourke in the first inning on their way to an 8-4 win in their home opener. Andrew Velasquez hits a two-run triple in the top of the 10th, helping the Orioles get by the Cardinals 6-5. The Nationals raise their championship banner and then, then beat their divisional rival, New York Mets. Steven Strasburg strikes out 10 and holds the Mets to one run as he wins the second game of the season. Lorenzo Cain goes 2-for-5 with the home run and two RBIs to help the Brewers spoil the Phillies' home opener. George Sola hit his league-leading sixth home run as Kansas City wins their third straight game. And the Pirates get back above 500, believe it or not, as Joe Musgrove and company shut out the Reds 3-zip. Sonny Gray strikes out 10 in the loss. I'll tell you, for the Pirates fans, and I got some, some good ones that I'm friends with on Facebook, like Dave Finoli. Uh, Dave's a great author. Uh, he writes a lot of Pittsburgh Pirates stuff. We're checking out. I'm sure he'd be excited at this point if this was actually happening, that the Pirates were above uh, uh, 500, even though it's early in the season. So another action, uh, Cleveland beat Detroit 5-3. The Red Sox won their home opener 7-4. And the Angels top Texas 12-5. 
Now here's Luke App. In 15 minutes, it's, it's on bloodstream all over your body. Is that right? Oh, it does wonders with those things, though. It does wonders for this, but I can't use it all the time. And I don't, I don't, I use it quite a bit. I've been using it since back in the 30s. They didn't know what it was then. They just said it was horseless. <laughs> Well, I started in 19, I went up in the fall of 1930, about six weeks before the season was over, broke a finger, see that? Stuck it in the, stuck it in the pop fly. We worked out every morning, 10 o'clock. I said, my God, let me go back to the minor league. <laughs> 10 o'clock every morning in the fall, the sun's sitting right up there over that Comiskey Park. And I feel it one morning, I feel it 154 ground ball. I kept track and caught 32 pop-ups besides batting practice and then you go out and practice play at 2.30 in the afternoon. I said, no wonder this team can't work, they're worn out. <laughs> but that was our policy. You never had that finger set or did you? Oh yeah, but uh, see the Arthur, old Arthur gets in there every once in a while. See, now I can bend it a little bit, this one's getting worse. But see, that's a, see, I bend it every once in a while, but this one is getting worse. Well, after 80 years, what do you yeah. expect? So you really 20 years, I guess. You... I was 21 seasons. 20. I was in. I played through 1950. I went up in the fall of 30, and then I quit after 50. I could have stayed with them at. Uh, uh, manager, Texas died this year, last year. Uh, yeah, catcher, managed, he was, went to Detroit, managed Atlanta, managed uh, Baltimore. Uh, Richard? Richard, Paul. He wanted me to stay, to stay with him, but, uh, you know, I thought I just figured that, that you're taking some other guy's place, you know, that might do better. And I, they want me to manage in Memphis, and so I went down there instead. Mm -hmm. um, did you ever do any barnstorming? Or? One year. What, when was that? The fall of 50. Oh. <laughs> who, who, huh? Who did you go with? Who? I went with the uh, left-handed player, Mickey Harris. Oh, yeah. They see, he and Tevitz used to barn some up in New England. Uh -huh. And Tevitz uh, told him that he wasn't going. It was all his. See, but Tevitz had the dates. And unbeknownst to Mickey and everybody else, Mickey asked me to go, and I wasn't coming back. That, uh, of course, the Yankees, Casey wanted me to come over with them. And I was trying to get my release from that, uh, Chicago to go with the. Uh, uh, to New York. I'd like to try one year with a winner. <laughs> and uh, so Rosito was keeping touch with me when he was on bar. He was on the other team. See, you, they, he was talking to him and he was talking to me. They tell me you couldn't interfere, you know, you couldn't, they'd get you. In fact, they, he asked me, I tried to get my release of last year. I was with the Sox at uh, about six weeks before the season over. Casey says uh, they'd give me a nice raise, guaranteed to carry me all next year, 
and the year after that, if they were first in, give me a, he'd give me a triple-A job to manage baseball. And they wouldn't give my release. Like I told them, I said, hey, I, I, I don't count in your plans. You want to get, you're going to start young players? And you know, that's the reason I went to managing. I just stayed with Paul. I loved it. You never, you never got to see much of uh, the National League at all. Well, I'd see him uh, play when I was hurt every once in a while. I'd go over to Cubs Park and watch him play uh, in the World Series and play against him in the spring. See, we trained in Pasadena, mm -hmm. and uh, you had the uh, Cubs out there, the Giants were out there one time, Pittsburgh. And then uh, somebody else was out there close. But we'd see the boys. Well, now, if you, just, just of the guys you saw play ball now, if you had to pick a team, like who, who was the best catcher you saw play? Well, I've seen a lot of good catchers, like Cochran, Dickey. And a lot of good catchers. It'd be hard to. Separate uh, that uh, like that, but uh, just off the out of a clear sky, would would be two. Well, you know, because before we start, before we get going, this I interviewed Neil DeRosa once. I was, I wish I hadn't done because it upset him so bad. I was I was interviewing Carl Hubble and Lucky Gomez and George Kelly, and it just so happened that it was convenient to interview DeRosa. And so Bill Gilfo said, why don't you interview him? Well, Leo you know, kept saying, does this mean I'm going to get in the Hall of Fame? And I said, no. Does this mean I'm not going to get in the Hall of Fame? No, no. And, but anyway, he, he did something very interesting. He, he picked an all-star team. Okay? Yeah. All-time all-star team. He said, now I'm going to turn around. I'm going to pick an all-time all-star team that can beat that one. You know? And he said, I could probably do that five times. That's right. You know. Uh, and it's true, but so you would you would have Cochran or Dickey as your catcher, right? Yeah. Now, how would you could you distinguish between those two? I mean, it was uh, I mean Cochran? The knock I always heard against Cochran was he was too small. Oh, he wasn't small. He was pretty good. He weighed a hundred and at least ninety or something. Oh, did he? Yeah, he wasn't small. He was bigger than I am. Was he? Uh, Dicky, uh, like I say, if you go back through, just looking through and go over and over and different players, there's a lot of good catches. Bernie Tevis was a good catcher. They, I mean, it's just off, it just off my shoulder. Those two. I have a first baseman. First baseman. Now they had a lot of good first basemen. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be something else. You had, uh, of course, uh, you had Jimmy Fox. You had Greenberg. How, how was Jimmy Fox the fielder? All right. And then you got uh, you got a million for Moose Gowan. Then uh, the guy with the Dodgers. Of course, I didn't see you. They just uh, nationally, you know, but I just see the American League playing in them. I mean, to judge them. But they had a lot of good first base. I know with a bat, I guess, but I never knew how he was as a fielder. Oh, all right. I never seen him make a bad play. Uh -huh. Yeah, against us, he played great. Of course, Greenberg was a great. 
Well, I guess uh, the uh, the first second baseman I saw uh, that I, you know, come out of was Lazari. Oh. Of course, that's when I was a kid and just coming up. Uh -huh. And then I uh, then the, they had uh, Charlie Garringer. He was great. I mean, you know, you could go ahead as long as I've been in the damn league. You can name five or six in on a yeah. given day, but like I say, Charlie, they wound him up every year at three thirty and glided around second base, make the plays. Never said one word. You'd say, "Hi, Charlie, how are you?" Okay, and never get, never can. It wasn't very conversational. Really a nice man. Beautiful. And like I say, they've had a lot of guys. Joe Gordon. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you can name him, and the guy at Boston, Door, man, he, as far as second baseman's concerned, you had a lot of them. Yeah. How about third baseman? Well, I saw Ossie Bluesy play at the end, he played great, and then, like I say, there's, uh, there's a lot of third basemen, you know, that uh, that hit better and feel better. You know, you'd have to really... Is and that's uh, that's uh, that's a hard position to throw anybody in. Yeah. I did see the guy for Pittsburgh play uh, a little trainer, pie trainer, in spring training. Oh, he was a good player. Yeah, well, that's exactly that's exactly like Jerusha says. You can pick five or six If you get the names down, you know. And, uh, back in 1930, that's a long time to remember. Sure is. Sure is. All right, now, positions you, you know well. How about a shortstop, aside from yourself? Well, they had Cronin played good shortstop. Cassetti was a good shortstop. He wasn't a great hitter. They had Rosillo was a shortstop. They had uh, a guy from the Browns uh, that hit pretty well. He wasn't faster, but... Uh, They've had uh, they've had quite a few shortstop. Like I say, you could name, you know, in American League, I'd have to go over there. That uh, that uh, quite a few of them they could add his name to the list. Aparicio played good for the Sox. Well, I look at shortstop and think about shortstop. I you know, I think the best shortstop I ever saw on grass field. It all happens in Southern Ireland. Marty? Yeah. Marty's an Atlanta boy. I knew him when he was a skinny little fan. I knew his brother better. We played in Park League. Oh, did you? And uh, Marty, and Marty uh, was uh, a little... He's still in St. Louis now with the... So. Still up in the cafeteria, I mean, the lounge or whatever they call it. No, Marty was playing around. I played with Johnny, his older brother, in the Park League. And uh, he lived and played for Adair Park, and we played for Maddox Park. Rough place town. Rough town. At, uh, I lived outside the city limits. So just outside there, I went up to Maddox Park, swimming pool, then you didn't have a car, didn't have all this money. To throw. <laughs> but Marty was a good, he was a good shortstop. In fact, when he went to the Sox, they, did you know they gave him my number? He wanted. 
Yeah, number four. Oh. They'd retired it. Now they've retired. Somebody said they retired again. I said, that's second time. They ought to have third to get three strikes out. But I didn't object to Marty. You know, I thought it was an honor that he'd want number four. I just remember how I used to go watch this show. He used to play with Cardinal McCoy. He, he, he was long and rangy. Yeah. He was rangy. You know, shortstops. If you get a good shortstop, it's according to how intelligent it is, how he plays the hitters. You know, in the middle of that field, that's the important part. That you have to learn the hitters and play them according to the, and the type of pitchers it's pitching. You get the signs, they're just like me, which they don't do anymore. I'm going to tell you something they don't do. You won't see it done. Just like a man on base, first base. You'd give, you'd give the third baseman a word sign for curveball, a, a, a change of pace, a fastball, or you, you make it by yourself. And then uh, you give a cover sign man at second, you give a sign, and then you give a glove sign to the outfield. Well, they don't do that anymore. That's out of the question. You know, the last time I remember hearing that guy give word signs that I was managing Richmond. They went to Syracuse and Kazansky. We're playing shortstop for the Philly, you know, organization. They had the ones and all. They had a good ball. And Lynette was catching. I liked Joe. And uh, in fact, I coached with him with Tanner in Chicago. And he'd, uh, he was back at the plate. And uh, I says, Joe, I call him. I pitch you make. He says, how you can't do it. And I said, oh, yes, I can. Because Kazansi was using the word sign to the third baseman. I was there, and it began to hit me in the ear, you know. They Just two things. Two things. Well, he was covering up. He was doing this. The pitcher was the only <laughs> I, was, I didn't miss a pitch because uh, uh, was giving the third base of the player. And uh, Joe said, Amy, when we coached he said, where in the hell did you get them signs? I said, from the shortstop? He said, well, I'll be dang. But uh, no, you pick up a little a lot of things like that. You know, it's like a, a, a pitcher. I could pick up breaking pitches and different things. You know, just one thing or another, just the way his actions were. Like Tommy Bridges. He had one of the better curveballs in the league. You, uh, you know, overhanded, really break the curving ball, and he had trouble. And just watching pitch with men on base, he'd come down, just he'd come down the set position, he'd reach out here. And if you give it a little extra reach, that was a curveball. You'd do it, throw it every time. I mean, that's habit. Yeah. You pick up habits from guy, and I got to notice, and then we got Mule Haas and Simmons and Mule's bad about talking. You don't mind giving signs. Says, how do you hit that curveball? And Bridget said, you hit that curveball? And, like, and I knew him well. I liked him. And I told Haas and them on a club, you know, which you usually do. I said, keep it to yourself. And then the next year, you know, he had a bad year. You know, and so I said to him, I says, hey, I'm going to tell you something. You pitching this series? 
No, I'm not going to pitch this series. I said, okay, I'll tell you. You know, when you go out with this baseball, breaking ball, and, you know, a little different thing, something else that I was telling. a long time. He said, well, thanks. And look up the last day he's pitching. <laughs> and the man's on first base. I said, hey, time. <laughs> hey, buddy, time. And he just laughed. He did cross me up every day. Uh, one time he did everybody else on the damn dog. <laughs> but he didn't. That same guy was. And he thanked me. You know, love different things, just like it's otherwise. If you keep your eyes open, you can a lot of foolishness, and people don't pay that much attention to you, and you're not serious. But you keep your eyes and ears open, and you learn a lot. The other shortstop, I've never seen anything like it, is Smith with the St. Louis. Oh, I've seen it lately, yeah. He can feel, he does, he's very agile, and he... He he plays. If you notice, he plays uh, hitters real well too. Yeah. That uh, different things, but they had a lot of just like I say in our league when it come along. We uh, they had. Uh, I might have missed some. It's been so damn many I've seen. You know, it'd be hard. Well, DiMaggio was a great one. Williams is a great hitter. Not the best field in the world, but Joe can do it all. His brother was a good fielder, the younger and fair hitter. And uh, you had, uh, oh, dang, man, he had a lot of right fielders that could play. That, uh, yeah, I saw Ruth play. You know, I never will forget Ruth. First words he ever spoke to me, they, you know, that, uh, as I say, the game's changed quite a bit. They told me when Ruth come to bat, play right back to the pitcher. And wave your hands at him in glove. And so he hit one off center field wall. And he got second base. He said, hey, kid, come here. He said, all that shit, you just wearing yourself out. He said, it don't bother me none at all. <laughs> He was quite a guy. He paid Ted Lines a big Ted. He actually quit. He come out one Sunday and watched Ted Pitts and the Yankees. He said, let me come out and watch these Yankees and the Just come out and watch you, your so-and-so pitch. Yeah. I, you know, when I do these interviews and talk to people and so forth, I get more and more fascinated with that what they do to the character. Because you, know, you, you get two pictures of it. One, uh, people say, you know, he was this crazy, alcoholic, sex-crazed moron, well, you know, and the other picture is of this, uh, you know, superhuman being almost. Oh, he was a nice fella. Yeah. I mean, he eat hot dogs in between, they do now, and everything else at the end. <laughs> and I imagine he had a few brews of one thing or another. <laughs> I tell you, if he ever got to the ball, he caught it. He caught it. He had a great arm. Yeah, he could throw. But like I say, his running was, uh, I guess, his only fault that he had. Of course, it, uh, you take him gloves. We, I broke him. Them little old gloves they had. I 
I like to see you put them on some of these kids playing now. They have big webs out here this far and that thing. And uh, like I say, the game's changed quite a bit. People are on and equipment-wise and one thing or another. The only thing I don't like the shoes. They've never had a pair of shoes that ever equal Spalding featherweights with the spikes. What were they? Were they a kangaroo? Or? Yeah, they kangaroo. They got cut easy, but I had, I, I, I was fortunate uh, when they went out of business. They called me up and told me, and, and they said they had about nine or ten pair of my shoes. See, they'd make a special lash for you in New York, and uh, you could just take them and bend them together like this, mm -hmm. you know, backwards any way you wanted, two fingers. And they called me up and told me then, so they, I had eight or ten, twelve pair, I don't know which. And then they were about $25 a pair. And like I used to tell the guy, Riddell and all them come in with them shoes for ten and twelve dollars, ruin your feet and everything else. And these, are, I, I bought me a pair of leather insole, I mean I had cut them and put a in St. Louis, they had this honeycomb, you know, put for your heel and come up to the bottom. I never had any trouble with my feet in my life. And I'd put them on, on that, that honeycomb, would sit there on that leather, and I'd just move the leather in and out. Of, never played the same game in a pair of shoes, two games in the same pair of shoes at all. I'd practice in a pair, play a pair in the thing, and just slide my, in fact, I had two of them. And uh, I kept them. They cut easy, but they were great shoes, just like you had nothing on your feet. I had an old vibrator that I got in uh, metal. I still got it. I put my feet on it. I wish it, I was here more often for my knee. It vibrates you all over, you know. And then I'd sit in there and I had in between double letters, you know, my feet on that thing. and shake them and everything else, you know, they loose, it did the job. I, and I left the socks, and uh, they wouldn't let me have it, so I went up there, you know, and I was the only one who used it, though. I used it all the time. And uh, Shark is a clubhouse boy, so I went up there, and it's not in the clubhouse. I said, where's that? It says in the, in the storeroom. And I said, well, where in the hell is it? And so he uh, finally went up there one fall, and he said, clean it out, and I found it. And I just put it in my car and drove it home. <laughs> I still got it. Yeah, the, the wiring get a little bad, <laughs> but it still does the job. Now, anybody Oh, don't give me, I can name you so damn many that would be different. A lot of good players. I tell you, I'll say one thing about that. That's what's bad about it. You see, and like I say, the times change. You got guys in there not supposed to be there, and you got some that should be there. You couldn't elect them in there. They could fill a page full of them every year. But... Uh, <coughs> The writers. You had the old writers, and then they are changing more than the damn ball players now. And that's the one thing, just like I say, when I went, I never resented anybody 
voting for against me. Like I say, I was so surprised that it happened, you know, when it did. I get a few votes. But the point is, they get new writers. They don't see these guys. All they get is, it's just like I say, when I went in, I had five guys come up to me and in the course of a couple of years said, I didn't vote for you. He says, but uh, the point is that uh, I looked at your record and said, hell, you should have been in there a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the that's whole story with it all. Yeah. I mean, it was a cry for a long time to people who weren't there, you know, I mean, some people. And uh, it's a crime, too, some of the ones that are there. You know? Well, just like, yeah, I can name you two or three that uh, didn't even play enough days. You know what, the bad ball play. Yeah. But they don't have the time in that. Well, I mean, they can do anything. Yeah, one that's always bothered me is Colfax. He was a great pitcher for five years. Great pitcher. But... You know, for five years he was a joke. They couldn't use him. They couldn't bring him out of the bullpen. I, I'm not sure that five years is long enough to be. That's right. Yeah. Just like Grove. Grove stayed in the minor league for five or six, seven years. Get thrown just as good to before he got control. Yeah. Yeah. And you show me a pitcher that you talk about fast. He played against the Yankees, fastball hitting club. They had a whole lot of fastball hitters in the league, and he went. He went 28 games. <laughs> you think he went for? Man, I'm going to tell you, he ran back, and you could tell when he'd go down, somebody would come sidearm. He'd go out of here when he wanted to hit you. How about throwing it at people now? Well, it used to be fair game. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing said. Now that they've gotten to the point that, uh, especially good hitters, you know, I've seen since I've been not playing, that good hitters. Anything else, you throw the ball inside, they might be on top of the plate, and you throw the ball inside that much off the plate, and the umpire warns a pitcher. I mean, but those things do. That's, you know what that is? That's what's happened to the 300 hitters. They don't throw it a hitter enough. If you throw it a hitter and you're a fair game and you know this guy, or come inside and deck you, and I, I, I've never had any uh, any conflict with anybody throwing it batters, as long as you keep the ball down uh, from the letters down. And I still say a guy with any moxie makes him a better hitter. He's relaxed, and he knows this guy, and he uses his hand and bat and not lunging and jumping at the ball. Yeah. Nowadays, you just watch it. Watch them out at lunge and jump at that ball, and uh, because they know they ain't gonna throw at him. Well, you talk about Murphy. You know, Murphy is a good ball player, no doubt about it. But he can look as bad as any hitter I've ever seen. Well, you know, when he looked at bad, started looking bad. You ever notice it? For about the last four or five years, and he hit a lot of home runs. That's because he was changed to hit the ball to right field instead of pulling it. He hit a lot of balls right field, right center in different places. And uh, center field, where he used to, when he first was playing, he center field was, I've seen him in, hit balls in the minor league. See, that's the reason I was with him. 
it lying dried right over the center field fence. And he wasn't a bad catcher until they got a guy because of the way he was stepping. He wanted to switch his feet, you know, he wasn't using his feet. And then God, the center field started pitching, he started hitting the pitcher. He started throwing balls everywhere, watching his day gone feet. <laughs> That's one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in baseball. Apparently when he was having that trouble, he called his father to come and straighten it out or something? No? Nah. He just had to, you know, a lot of a lot of guys have the catches, especially. You've seen few, uh, quite a few guys that have a block. Oh yeah. And uh, that just happened to be his, and like I say, he's very conscientious. Well, does his father really say, watch him and say, "Well, I'll never never steal right center field off him." <laughs> I don't know. I like his family. He got a lovely mother and father. Well. Can I get a couple pictures of you? Yeah, if you can stand it. Well, I don't, I don't can know. I take off my glasses? I don't know how the camera will do, but... Let's see if we got enough light here. We'll turn the light on. You want to turn this? I don't know where this is. There's got a light here somewhere. You got enough light here? Turn that light on over there. Let's see if that makes any difference. Whoa. That's going to overbalance me. Yeah, it does make a difference. Yeah, I thought it might make a little, maybe just enough. Break that camera shoe, you boy. I don't know. I hope not. It's a brand new one. <laughs> Just don't show my ears. Don't show your ears. <laughs> you know they're big enough. Okay, that ought to do it. No, this is great. I've enjoyed every. I, you, know, I, you know, I enjoy being even out here. You got to enjoy this game if it's a. If it's a job, a uh, hard work to you, you might as well go and get better hours. Exactly right. Now I can tell you, when I saw you at the ballpark yesterday, I knew here's a man who's where he wants to be. Well, I get right. I don't do it this It's like I say, anybody's looking for trouble can find trouble anywhere. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. Like the, in baseball, I have my friend, and most of them, that uh, they are. But I mean, it's the three counties right there together, and there's nothing in them, up in the mountains. So they don't want to be isolated. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't either. This is Rod Roberts. The date is uh, August, uh, April fourth, uh, April tenth, nineteen eighty-seven, and we're interviewing Mr. Lou in a motel in Greenville. South Carolina. This is tape two. Um, in 1934, you had uh, on the club, you had uh, Zeke Benoit. Zeke boy. Zeke, Zeke had just passed away. Yeah. He was my roommate for the years he was a white Oh, was he? Most of the time. And uh, in fact, my first uh, introduction to Zeke was he, he signed in New Orleans the same year I signed with it with the Crackers oh. in Atlanta. 
I never will forget him. He pinched hit and he hit a ball in deep short and uh, of course not being any speed demon because if he could have run it, he'd beat it out and I, I, I backhanded and threw him out of first base and I never will forget, uh, forget remark. He said, you smart collegiate so-and-so and he is just out of college with the Loyola. Well, I played football against him. Oh, really? He's down there, and he got knocked out. I said, hey, now you should kid him. I said, hey, Zeke, you remember when you got pulled your helmet off and I ran over and kicked you in the head when I went over you? And he said, ooh, cut that off. <laughs> he was a great boy. He's from New Orleans, huh? Yeah. Uh -huh. Never got married. Never did? Uh -huh. No, he was... Uh, he was, uh, the only time I think he ever got seriously dating was, uh, with Ms. Comiskey's daughter, one that married, uh, John Rigney. Oh. And, uh, he tried to go with her. I don't know what happened, but, uh, Zeke was, uh, he was a fine boy. All in all. Now, you really like Jimmy Dykes. Oh, I love him. Uh-huh. I loved him. Like I say that, uh. I played for Jimmy Dykes, and he told me what he wanted to do, and he never gave me a sign for 12 years. Is that right? He'd tell me what he wanted, and he'd just like he'd say, hey, I want you, you got a bat back of manure and tail right. Says, we can't bunt him over, and you hit and run with him. Everybody in the ballpark, you know, I was going to hit and run with him. Uh -huh. They say run and hit now. You yeah. know, they change, say, but still hit and run, run and hit, uh -huh. no different. And uh, they, uh, you couldn't put them over. And Zeke had trouble getting the, getting the signs. I mean, I hit. I used the same hit and run sign for twelve years. I never will forget Casey Stingle and the Yankees had the had everybody on the bench trying to get my hit and run. They finally come to the conclusion anytime I spit it to run at first base. And I, like I say, I used the bat as a hit and run. Uh -huh. I was always hitting the plate, you know, different things and yeah. talking, carrying on foolishness. And uh, every once in a while, I'd give them a sign which meant nothing, you know, and they, sure. they was looking. And any time I, I didn't hit the plate with a bat, it was on. And if I hit it with one with one hand, it's on. Two with two hands. I used that all the time, 14 years, and uh -huh. nobody even got it. <laughs> of course, you've got three signs there, you know. Yeah, sure. That they, uh, and I'd always talk to the catcher because, like, one day we got a new boy joined us and he's on first base, and I said, you know, anytime I rub my this thing, I'm always rubbing it. Uh -huh. They don't pay no attention that we were playing Boston, and Tebbets was catching. And he said, what are you using for hit and run? I said, anytime I do that, and I told the kid, anytime I do that, and I stepped out, it was still on. I said, just one time. And so he got ready. I said, let me get out of here. I don't want to hit and run. That's my hit and run. So and I stepped back uh, back in, didn't do anything else. And the guy run, and I got a base hit. I could still hear Timmy said, <laughs> <laughs> But you had to, I carried on a lot of foolishness, but I knew what was going on. Sure. sure. You have to. Yeah. Just like one day in the Yankees Stadium, we were playing the Yankees, and the pitching the catcher used to sit down on the bench watch you hitting bat practice. And I looked over one day, and Dickie's catching, and Shea is pitching. It was a slider ball pitcher. 
And uh, I had good luck with him because I could hit the ball right field and I'd go right between first and second with it. Then I was just, I seen him talking and he began to talk about me and I'm hitting the, and he, he, the pitcher went in here and Bill said, you know, and I said, well, they're talking about me. I said, you throw that slide inside today, boy, me and you going to war. And the Yankee Stadium, the first time bat first pitcher, the slider in the end, I had a short hop down the left field line and hit the wall, bounced around, scored a couple of runs. The next time I come up, there's a couple of men on base. And the first pitch was a fastball. It was out off the plate. And then the next pitch, I was still laying for that thing. He come back in there and I hit it about 20 rows up in that stand. You know what he said to me next day? He come out and he says, I never pitched you inside that slider in my life since I've been here. He says, you hit those things just like you knew they was coming. And he says, you did. How was that? I says, I've seen it coming up there inside, which I said, I could have uh, you never tell them the truth. Yeah, I <laughs> you have to keep your head. I think a hitter, his main thing is to watch the pitcher. Yeah. And no, good pitchers, I didn't mind hitting the good pitchers because that stuff is more consistent. And they hit the, the breaking ball is more usually consistent. Mm -hmm. And 95% of the time, uh, and the fastball moves the same way, you know. Yeah. And if you watch a picture like you'd be surprised how many characteristic things you pick up from him. You can see a lot of breaking pitches and terrible. The guy says, how can you see that? I said, I'm looking at it. You know, and they don't look at the picture. Yeah, I know. It's just like a picture. Just like any time a picture, he says you can't follow his arm in the future, you can do anything. and You can school yourself to the point you can see. And when that ball, you see that ball, just half that ball here in his arms here is breaking pitch. This mm -hmm. is a whole ball. That's a fastball. Mm -hmm. And just like the underhanded pitcher, he comes out, he's got a, he just shows you the whole ball, and uh, in breaking pitch, he, yeah. you see half ball. Yeah. I mean, those things that you think guys pick them up, but they don't anymore. It's the thing that bothers me about kids. They, I think maybe we've overcoached them. We we do all the looking for them and all that. The kids don't watch anymore. They don't watch the game, right? Well, I tell on the bench and I say, just watch the pitcher. And they're just like Justin. He's got a broken arm. And he's sitting on the bench. And I says, just watch the pitchers. When you're not playing or when you're not hitting or you're in the batter's box, I, always, I wouldn't take my eyes off the hitter. You know all I looked at when I was at the bat? In Comiskey Park, it says three... It's 360 feet down, 54 mm -hmm. feet, even 53 feet, which it used to be. It's a bandbox now, they made it. Mm -hmm. it uh, and the wind blowing in off that lake, so that that bat and tear run eyes, that cold off the... Uh, I just look at the infield, I shoot what they give you, a line, try to hit line drives in between. Mm -hmm. And guys don't have themselves. You can go out there and tell them. I told the guy last night, and I was with him last year, how he uses his hand and approach to the ball. In here, and he can't get out in front. He hit a home run last night. Screeching, line drives in the field, and they get afraid of him. They walk him up there. <laughs> and he's not that type of hitter. Uh -huh. but he, and he'll forget it today. Yeah. And he's a catcher. Yeah.
Just let it, it doesn't sink in. You know, when I first broke in, it stuck in my mind. My first manager in the Atlanta Crackers, he says, I want to tell you something, son. He says, when I tell you something one time, I expect you to remember. He said, if I tell you, I have to tell you the second time, I begin to think you're stupid. He said, if I have to tell you the third time, I know damn well you're stupid. And that stuck in my mind from then on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Simmons. You know, I can't believe that, I mean, I know the problems Connie Mack had. I, I, I came from Philadelphia, and when I was a kid, I loved old newspaper. I used to go read the old newspapers. And I could, I've seen those headlines in the Philadelphia Record, ho-hum A's win again. You know, I mean, and nobody in the ballpark. A great ball club and nobody there. So I know why he had to to do it. That's why. But what what did Chicago have to give up to get Miller and Haas and Earnshaw money. and Simmons? Money? Boy. See, they I must have been hurting for money. <clears throat> we didn't trade nobody. We didn't have that's anybody what, that's to what trade. I you know. As I remember. But the point is that it's a shame that the they don't draw people when you have a great ball player yeah. club like that. I don't think that could happen today. I don't know. No way. Uh-uh. No way. But it happened to Mac twice. He put two great ball teams together and both times couldn't afford to keep them. Well, if people don't tend to the attendance, of course, now then you got television, radio, yeah. it helps you out. Yes, you know, which it didn't have then. Yeah. It was the, oh, my poor knee got stiff. Oh, well. <clears throat> but uh, you got a lot of income coming in otherwise that you didn't before. Yeah. It uh, makes a lot of difference. You can't pay them, you can't have them. And then you can't, you don't have any money to invest. You're lucky as heck to come up with it. And nowadays, I think the only players are the way that uh, you have to do, you all have to raise them. Yeah. I was very... This past year, we signed a lot of high school kids, and uh, I just hope they do it this year too. Good ones, you know, kids who want to play, and then they get you get them before they get in a lot of bad habits, and you you can teach them a little more, I think. And if they're interested in playing and willing to work, which most of them are, I have never seen but one, maybe two in my whole life. I I told a couple of guys they they like that and didn't want to work. I said, why don't you quit and go get your job? Mm-hmm. Best thing you can say to them. What what kind of fellow was Simmons? The Duke was uh, a nice person, and uh, he was a little headstrong. In fact, his boy lives uh, in uh, Forsyth County. Uh-huh. Uh, right up above me uh, somewhere. He works in Gainesville, I understand. I, I've never met him, you know, since he's been there because I'm off in the summer and everybody hibernates in the winter, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, so uh, he's uh, he's uh, he's all right. Uh, now, Simmons was a Polish fellow, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, <clears throat> I never will forget him. When I went to Philadelphia, they had those two huts, one in right field, one in left field. Yeah. You remember them? Oh, yes, I remember and them. And it's, it's just, just this 
you'd get on someone who says, Mammy, Mabel, I'll walk the dog, and things like that. You know, they were always on there. Of course, they got on the big guys then, yeah. little guys. And then they got on me one year, and I, and I had a shortstop and went, and the guy at third base, and I'd put my glove up, and I'd say, Get back there, come on there, young boy! And they said, what do you say? And I'd give it back to never say anything. And they said, ah, oh, nuts! That's the way you treat those people. Yeah. I'd forgotten about those guys, yeah. You remember them now? Well, they, had, they had great voices, I'll tell you. They uh, they, really... uh, I think Mr. Beck give them, let them come in free of charge. They had a seat farm in right field and get on other people. I thought they were very comical. Yeah, they were funny. Yeah. In the 1934, you had Frenchie Bordegaray on the ball. Club. Yeah, Centerfield. Yeah, we traded him. We traded him. Where did he go? Brooklyn. Yeah, I think he did from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we had a lot of good boys, but like I say, that, uh, we had Jackie Hayes. Who, you know, he lost his eye. That was bad. How How did he lose his eye? Well, I think from what I said, see, I roomed Jackie uh -huh. a lot when he was there. It, uh, I think his father was a doctor, and he had a little sinus disturbance, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, I noticed one time he'd start sweating, he'd have salt stains under his eyes, and he'd come in at night and maybe have a few beers uh, after eating it, and he'd uh, irrigate his nose with a, a, a syringe, you know. Uh -huh. Swear up one nose and one the other, and I just think he paralyzes the nerves in his oh. uh, his eyes himself. Wow. I got a for a couple of years in in Pasadena in spring training. I guess maybe he didn't do it in the winter time, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, "Hey, I can't see. I got one of my eyes are blurred." I said, "What's the matter?" And he says, I just got a thing. And then it was right then the spring training. And he went to, we went to Phoenix and they shipped him in Chicago and they, he lost sight of his eye. In fact, he, when he lost the other, Alice, his wife, lovely person, he didn't get married for about 10 years after he played ball. And uh, he come to Emory University in Atlanta and I talked to him when, when he was up there. He lost his other sight. Oh, my. Both sides. Yeah. He and Ted Lyon were good friends there. It's terrible. You what? know what surprised me? Moose Salters went blind. He was a big outfielder, played with two or three clubs, and ended up with us there. He went blind, too. Mm. I kid him. I said, that's looking at that hard wind coming off the lake there in the <laughs> spring and the fall. Yeah. That might do it, I guess. Um, you had a Jocko Conlon. Jocko? Yeah. Jocko's quite a boy. Yeah. I like him. I love him. He, uh, in fact, the first when he first started umpiring, he played center field, but he wasn't playing. And we were playing in uh, St. Louis in a tie ball game, and I hit a triple, and I slid into third base, and uh, Dykes was coaching, a managing coach there. And he was giving Jocko the devil. I didn't say nothing to him. And I told Jocko, call it just right, but I, I think I'm just <laughs> I would just had to both and then he turned into an umpire. Uh -huh. And a sassy little one too. Yeah. yeah. 
but uh, he he was a son of Fela Fox, lived in Chicago. You know. Uh huh. Muddy Rule. Buddy, Dad Gummit. That was his favorite expression. Never used curse words, anything else. <laughs> Dead gummit, and that yeah. was it. And he was a hard worker. I enjoyed him. He got uh -huh. married when he was in his late life, too. Oh, did he? Yeah. Uh -huh. He was a fine gentleman. Yeah. Now, you got a. Another a pitcher on that club, Monty Stratton. Monty? Yeah. Well, Monty came up in a uh, long, lanky, gangly guy. <laughs> he uh, he was coming right along, thought he was sort of an underhanded sidearm pitcher and a great guy. A lot of fun. Oh. Just laughing all the time. He and Ted Lyons become good friends. Now, being a pitcher, but, mm -hmm. you know, the, and uh, we called him Gander. The only kind of his long run, you know, different things. And uh, we were in El Paso, Texas. We used to ride that slow train through Iowa and, you know, different places, pull on the side, let the other trains go by. You know? <laughs> and that trip back in Chicago. And uh, we were in El Paso, and he and myself and Mike Crevich bought a 22 standard pistol, you know, mm -hmm. with a long barrel. Yeah. And we we were going to stand there, stand on the back end of the train and shoot them pistols on the side of the road. <laughs> Never did hit one. <laughs> and... Uh, <coughs> Monty made him a scabbard for that thing, and he lived in Texas, Texas, and he'd go down there, and he liked to get out and shoot those jackrabbits. Mm -hmm. So he had his rifle along, and he'd shoot at him with a pistol till it got away from him, and then he'd put the pistol in a scabbard, and then he'd shoot the, <laughs> shoot the rifle. Uh -huh. Well, in some way or another, he'd push that thing down his must not have got his finger off the trigger. And he shot himself right here and it run down his leg and it it went right down the artery for about six inches. Ooh. Well, out there in that Texas town, they carried him over to the doctor. He got out on the road, he couldn't walk, it filled up with blood. Uh -huh. And I guess the doctors, just like ball players, they improved yeah. his age, you know. And, uh, so they carried Monty up to the doctor, and he made an incision in the back of his leg. And then I understand they just stuffed it full of cotton, and he had to ride 28 miles or something over to uh, to uh, the hospital. And I understand he was unconscious, and he liked to die from losing blood. So, you yeah. know, they had to stop it up. And then uh, he lost it. Never lost his disposition. Uh -huh. He come back and tried to pitch. You know, he could still throw, and he with that long legs or that uh, artificial leg, he he hop around. You know, he was a great boy. It's yeah. a shame that something like that should happen to him. Terrible thing. Of course, when they made that picture of him out in yeah. Hollywood, that gave him. Uh, 
he got enough out of there to buy him a farm. That's not a mm-hmm. big farm. Yeah. Uh, he, I don't remember Stratton. I remember remember a guy uh, Connie Mack had named Lou Brissy. After yeah. The, I know, he had a, he yeah, had a he's Lego. South Carolina boy. Yeah. Or North Carolina, somewhere up there. He had a leg all torn to pieces in the war and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't also. Oh, no, 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 no. I feel, I know I feel just about like he does with my knee now. <laughs> Let's see. I want to, well, Bill Gilfo always gets me to ask two questions. One of them is, what was your greatest day in baseball? My greatest day in baseball. My greatest day in baseball was the year the, uh, elected me to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it. I knew I got mentioned, mm-hmm. and it was uh, quite a surprise, you know, to bounce up there right at the end. I mean, that was my, it, we couldn't win any pennants. I won mm-hmm. a couple of batting titles, and uh, in the year I hit 388, I didn't even think about it till, till at uh, right the end of the season. I said, hey, Radcliffe was hitting up there, and I'm just batting back, and I was and I look up one day, and he's going back underneath me, and I'm up to 350. I said, boy, you better bear down. You might not get up here again. <laughs> a lot of guys say that it was the day they, got, they found out they're in the Hall of Fame. I like Red Ruffing's answer the best. He said his greatest day in baseball was the day he found he could get paid for playing. <laughs> no, I tell you, Red played for us, you know. Yeah. In fact, he was playing for us when he got his kneecap busted. Uh-huh. And you know who busted? The guy that played for the White Sox that owned him. George Vernon Washington, a line drive back, good left hand. I don't know why he never made it in the league. He led every league he played in from A, double A, triple A, and he got up there and they wore his fist out and he said, I remember the expression he had. Uh-huh. He said, I'd rather be a big fish in a little pond than a little fish in a big pond. And I said, yeah, but you don't make the money. You don't get fed as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> his name was George Vernon Washington? Yep. Yeah. Left-handed hitter, slung every bat. In fact, they put screens up in the, on the left hand on the first base side of every parking league. But they, he hit right? people with them bats slinging it. But the next hitter was there, they'd get way back away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him. He didn't stay that long, but uh, he was a fine boy. Yeah. All right, the other question Bill been asking, getting me to ask the last couple of years is, what was the greatest fielding play you ever saw? Well, I don't know. I've seen a lot of them. I mean, even just on what I, you know, on my part of the field. But uh, I, the day that... Uh, the fella pitched an old hitter. They had a guy playing center field, or what was his name, left-handed, in Radcliffe. I was on first base. I walked in the ninth inning and get beat one to nothing. You know, you 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 trying like hell to win the ball game, and he hits the ball to sort of right center line drive, and Sammy West, I think it was West. Playing center field. Anyhow, it was a left-handed guy, and he dove and caught that line drive just above the ground. 
if you'd have missed it, then Comiskey Park, the center field's open. It it ricocheted around that field. He could have, I know I could have scored easy because if he hit the ground, the right fielder had to shag it in center field. So you know how that'd be, and he could have lost the ball game yeah. and saved his no hitter and everything else. Yeah. Speedy West, Sammy West. Sammy. I think he was playing center field. I'm almost sure. It was, uh, of course, that's been a long time. Oh, yeah. Hard to remember. I don't remember all these things. (laughs) That's because I love the game. Oh, yeah. Um, I just look and try to see who that fielder was, and I came across a name that just leaped out at me. George Case. You remember George? Yeah, I know George. Yeah, he was Washington. Yeah. Run, sprinter. I was going to ask you, like, who who was the fastest fastest man you ever saw, the best base runner or whatever? Well, that'd be hard to say. Uh-huh. We had a little guy on our ball club who steal second base, and he, we didn't have a chance to run. We never were in the ball game. Mm-hmm. It's Mike Creevy could steal the base for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. That's a different guys that get a good jump, and it don't have to be quickness. Yeah, you know, the first mm-hmm. two or three steps you make is. Uh, is a success there. Of course, the guys could run. George should have stole a lot of bases, and uh, he played for Washington. Right. Uh, you know, the guy I really like to see was, I say, Bluegy. Yeah. Say, say, you remember him, or yeah. do you? Oh, yeah, I remember Ossie Bluegy, yeah. Yeah. You said Grove was the fastest pitcher you ever saw. He, he the pitcher who gave you the most trouble? Not necessarily. I hit him right over first base, right handed him. <laughs> I was lucky I didn't get base hit. Good wrist, huh? <laughs> no, he fired the ball. I'll tell mm-hmm. you a story about that. We played in Philadelphia. Now, you've been in the old ballpark. Oh, yeah, Connie Mack. Now, the, uh, you know how dark it gets when it's cloudy? Nothing yeah. to block out them clouds in center field, you know. Right. Sort of slopes down that well in there. And Grove is pitching against us. And he is, as I said, he's firing the ball. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting beat two to one in the, about the sixth, seventh inning. And I lucked up and got a couple of hits. I think we had three or four hits off of him. And uh, Fonseca's manager, and he could hit Grove pretty good. He get right handed hit him, and he hit, he hit him pretty good. So he's sitting on the bench, and then, uh, like I say, we had a shallow bench. And then, bam, he takes it. He always hit him pretty good. So he walked up to play. He pinched it. Man on base, I think, second base somewhere. He and he had a little twist with the bat. And Joe come down the pitch, and he threw the ball, and he went strike one. He didn't even get this bad thing. And. Uh, then the next time, he come right down. He come right at you. You know, he went. He got right here and it's strike two. And the next pitch he's running, he started swinging before he released the ball. It looked like I laid down on the bench. Coach Ponsinka myself didn't get long. He told me at the first base in Pasadena that he wouldn't have me on his ball club. <laughs> And he said, they, I could get rid of you, could trade you and everything else, and Baltimore, you're going to play a 
154 games, you're able to walk out there and you'll hit 154 and feel 154. <laughs> you know what I said to him? I said, yeah, you know, you can kiss mine too. <laughs> but he, but he said, first, can you imagine that? The last day in spring training, called me at first base, and I'm working like heck and, uh, and give you that category. <laughs> then when I won the bad championship in 36, I told him, I said, I bet they just grabs your soul after come back and take my picture. <laughs> you didn't get along too well with what? Well, I got along with him, but he, you know, he treated, and he, when he treats you like that, you know, like there's spring training, Yeah. you know, you're working like hell and just a kid too. What other questions you want? I got one more thing to ask of you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. He talked about everything under the sun, as I told you he would. And I'm sure if you listen to it all, uh, you really got that feeling that he was a Southern guy. So, and if you want to check out his biography and events throughout his career, go to thisdayinbaseball.com slash Luke Appling, and you can find just an, um, there's a really great written biography there by Bob Cohn, and I hope you would enjoy that. And then we have a bunch of his career, uh, a bunch of his career highlights, and you can click through and read those events. And uh, again, as as I mentioned already, this came from the Hall of Fame Digital Collection. Um, you should check that out and uh, and look at the show notes for a uh, link. And you can sponsor a page or two for the Hall of Fame. Like I said, they could probably use it at this time, considering they have no uh, no people coming through right now, and it's um, just a tough time for a lot of businesses. If you can, if you can, of course, uh, this is a tough time for lots and lots of people as uh, the unemployment numbers are very scary right now. As far as uh, This Day in Baseball goes, you can sign up for our updates uh, on every page. You can put your email in there. Uh, you can talk baseball with fans just like you on our forums. And again, I want to thank you for joining me today. My name is Tom Hannon. This is the Daily Rewind. And if you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. I'm sure anybody who is uh, working from home right now or out of work, they're looking for baseball to fill in some of that void. And uh, you know, interviews like this hopefully would uh would help them out a little bit through this time. And secondly, again, I really appreciate anyone who subscribes to the show and gives me any feedback at all. You can reach me directly at tdinbb at gmail.com. I'm Tom Hannon. Thank you for joining me today on the Daily Rewind, and we'll be seeing you at the ballpark, maybe, at some point this year. Peace.